Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. So we're not only starting a new series called Connect, as you saw, but we're starting off a new year with a whole new approach, one we've never taken before, and the focus is going to be prayer. Uh, Ever since 2008 which was when we came up with our New Life XN mission strategy. It's an acronym, and each of the letters stands for something. But there was an exclamation point at the beginning and the end, and we said, everything begins and ends with prayer. Now, if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've come all the time, you say, well, wait a minute. If everything begins and ends with prayer, the worship service doesn't even begin with prayer. I mean, you come right in here, and Pastor Brad just says, welcome, stand up, greet each other, and we start singing. Where's the prayer? And certainly, Pastor Brad or somebody on the worship team will pray during the worship singing. And then uh, when we have the Lord's Supper, we pray together. And then um, sometime during this message, I'm going to pray. And then after the offering is received, I say a prayer of thanks. And then at the end, we have something sort of prayerful, but it doesn't seem like everything begins and ends with prayer. Well, that's because you may not realize that on Saturdays, which we have a Saturday night service, on Saturdays all through the day, I'm praying for God to use that service to bring people that don't know him to himself and to glorify himself and to help all of us to grow in him. Uh, Every Sunday morning, first thing I do when I wake up, and this morning it was at 3.15, (laughs) I woke up and I started praying and asking God to be with us, to empower us so that this time would glorify him. And then at the end of the worship gathering, there's every, every week there's somebody up here, so you can stay and pray if you'd like to. And as I'm walking out, I always give a brief prayer of thanksgiving to God for what he has done through that service. And once again, that somebody came to know him, that all of us grew in him and glorified him. So everything really does begin and end with prayer here at New Life. And never more so than this month. I, I hope you were here on Christmas Eve. If you were, you got one of these Connect 31 Days to a Deeper Faith through Prayer Guide. If you weren't here and you would like one, please raise your hand right now. Somebody will bring it to you. Because this guide is going to be used every day in January. Um, as If you would turn to page three once you have one in your hand, on page three, it's today. December 31st and January 1st, that weekend, it gives you the message title for every weekend. We'll have that in there. The take-home point, the commitment, and then the key scripture, and then a place to write some notes. And then on the next page, more place to write notes. And every week, there will be questions. Once the small groups resume, you can use those in your small group. But also, you could use these just to reflect during the week with your family on uh, what the message was about that week. And then uh, the next page, on page 7, it says, Daily Prayer Guide for Sunday, January 1st. That's today, and it says, On Your Own. That's because Sundays are the only day of the week when we're not going to gather together for prayer. Monday through Saturday mornings at 6.30 to 7.30, we're going to gather right here in the worship center daily through the month of January to have a time where we're going to have a welcome, a brief scripture, a song, and then we're going to break into small groups and pray. Because we believe that that's what God is calling us to do. And it was funny because a week or so ago, somebody that didn't know about this, I was talking with them, and I mentioned the 6.30 everyday prayer time, and, and, and he goes, Chris, you really think people are going to come out every day at 6.30 in the evening for prayer? I said, no, 6.30 in the morning. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, then it was really like he wasn't so sure about that. And then we, we even... There's actually a a week-long focus on fasting, which we're going to do uh, January 22nd to the 28th. So there's some comments about fasting in there. And then the last thing, next to the last thing, actually, is January 30th, 
we're going to have a celebration, which is going to be in the evening at 7 o'clock here in the worship center, where we're going to praise God and pray together once again. If you ask, why are we doing it on January 30th and not on the 31st? Well, the 31st is a Tuesday. If you know what's going on on Tuesdays here in the evening, uh, that's when we have the middle school relevant youth ministry. So we don't want to try to push them aside um, for for that. So we're going to do it on Monday the 30th. So you might be thinking, well, that's a lot of prayer. It, It really is. It's going to be a lot of prayer. And the reason for that can be seen on page three if you look at the take home point. And again, if you're new, we seek to make one point in our messages every week. And the take home point this week is prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. We believe that fervently. Here at New Life, we haven't come to the point where we are without prayer warriors from day one. From day one, there have been men and women who have gathered daily on their own, sometimes in groups, but mostly on their own, to pray. And why do they pray? They pray for God to to soften the hearts of the people in our community and our region who need to know Jesus so they'll come to know him. They pray for the leaders of new life. They pray for your needs. If you, uh, on the connection card, if you write a prayer need, they pray for your needs daily or your joys because sometimes you celebrate with us what God is doing in your life. And so those are the things that those prayer warriors do. And they know, they know something. God hears and God responds to our prayer. Prayer is not a last resort for them. You know, for some people, it's like, man, I tried everything else, then I prayed. No, they, they pray first. They believe in the power of prayer. I also believe in the power of prayer because in my 32-plus years as a pastor, and particularly in these last 15 and a half years since we started New Life, and I've been the lead pastor here, we have seen God answer prayers, small and large, if there is such a thing as a small prayer or a large prayer, but big needs and needs that that seem sort of every day. In fact, we're in the middle of one of those answers to prayer right now. Back on the first weekend of January, this time last year, 2016, we introduced a fourth worship service, this one at the 1130 hour. We had never had an 1130 worship service before that. We, We were growing like crazy and we knew that we needed to add another service. We did. But what you may not know is immediately we started praying, mostly Pastor Brad and I started praying for when are we going to add a fifth service because we knew that that was going to be needed. And, and you might say, well, there's not that many people at this service. No, there aren't um, comparatively, although this is more than the average church in America right here, just this group. Um, but the 10 o'clock service in particular and now the Saturday night service are growing like crazy. And last weekend when we had uh, the, the Christmas Eve services, we had 1,285 people in our five services in those, yeah, that's pretty amazing, right? So, so we started praying. When is a good time to add a fifth service? Is there a good time, God, to add a fifth service? I'm two on Saturday night or four during the day on Sunday, or is there another day of the week? And we just kept praying. Well, um, in the middle of that prayer, and it took a long time, um, Pastor Barry, our executive pastor, came to me and he said, Chris, I have an idea, and it doesn't involve adding a fifth worship service. And I said, Well, what are you talking about, Barry? He said, what would you think about building a balcony in the back of the worship center? And, and okay, so let me tell you when he said this. He said it in October. And October happened to be in the middle of the Yes Initiative. And for those of you who come every week, you know that that's the fundraising campaign for our Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. So we're in the middle of telling the church family, you know, we're wanting to raise $3 million to build this new building. And Pastor Barry comes and says, we're going to build, maybe we should build a balcony. And I didn't even think about, is it a good idea? I didn't even think about, is it God's idea? The first thing I thought of was price tag. Well, how much is that going to cost? And, uh, and so then I, I said, Barry, can you answer one simple question for me? When did you think of this idea? And he said, nine months ago. 
And I said, nine months ago, why in the world didn't you tell me until October? And his answer was very instructive. He said, well, I've been praying and asking God whether it's his idea or my idea. Now, that's the right thing to do. You know, whenever you come up with an idea, it's the right thing to stop and say, is this God's idea or is this my idea? Now, even though he said that and even though it made perfect sense to me, the first thing I did was say, I wonder how much that's going to cost. And in my mind, I'm thinking that's going to cost like 200,000 bucks. So uh, then I did something that I should have done as soon as he said what he said. I started to pray and I said, God, you know, is this your idea? Like Barry says, <laughs> And it didn't take very long for me to realize it is God's idea to do this because it will allow us to have 125 extra seats. About 100 extra people could come, you know, on those special services right now, like Christmas Eve and Easter, but also at the 10 o'clock service, which is often overcrowded um, right now, and eventually at most of the services. So we can add an extra 100 people at every service if we do this balcony. So how much is that going to cost? You know, that became the question because we believed it was God's idea. And the answer uh, is we went to our architect and he said it's going to be a maximum cost of $250,000. I'm like, whoa. So I started praying. And this person came to me, actually phone called me and said, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Chris, I know this foundation in the area and they help churches out sometimes with their needs for like buildings and stuff. And maybe you could apply for a grant. So I said, what about a grant for a balcony? <laughs> and he's like, well, I don't think they would care what you applied for, you know. So we applied for a grant. And long story short, I hate making long story short. But long story short, this past week we received a check in the mail for $100,000. Yeah. That is the biggest check we've ever received, whether in the mail or in person. In the history of New Life, it's the largest check we ever received. So we're 40% of the way to answer to that prayer. And uh, now here's the thing. I'm going to ask you to start praying for the rest of that 60%. And you know why I'm going to ask you to pray? Because prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. And I want to warn you something in advance. When you start praying that prayer, you might find that your wallet gets lighter. It happened to me already. Because God is going to speak to some of you about the rest of that money. Because I believe that when we have our Easter worship services this year, because if we had 1285 and we did in, in Christmas, and based on last year's Easter and this year and last year's Christmas, we're going to have about fourteen or 1,500 people here during the Easter weekend this year. So we, we need that balcony, you know. So I believe that it's going to happen. And, and I'm going to pray about it, and I ask you to pray about it. And prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. So during this month of January, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to break it down into five different sections. And each week, we're going to talk about one of those sections. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the whole section where the Lord's Prayer is found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest single teaching passage. It's Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. We're going to focus today on Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 18. And you can look in your Bible, or it's certainly on page 3 right here. You can look there, and what you'll see is there's a little bit before the Lord's Prayer, and then there's the Lord's Prayer, and there's a little bit after. It's Jesus' most focused teaching on prayer and fasting. So before we turn there, let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for who you are and for the fact that you are already answering our prayers even before we ask them many times. God, we thank you that today we can come to your word and we know that it's the truth and that in, in, in the power of your Holy Spirit, it transforms us from the inside out. And that's my prayer today, that each of us, God, will 
be touched by you, by your spirit in our spirit, in our soul, in our, even in our bodies, Lord, that we might live more fully, completely for you in this year of 2017. And particularly, God, that we might connect with you through prayer in a more meaningful way on a daily basis, individually and together. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew 6, the first four verses, Jesus had been talking about giving alms. And giving alms is giving money to the poor. And so what he said about giving money to the poor is when you do it, don't make a big deal about it. Don't make a show out of it, you know, because in their day, some of the religious leaders would actually blow horns and they would cause people to like look and then they would pull their money out and they would give it to the poor people. And then everybody go, oh, look at you. You're such a great person. And Jesus said, don't do that. Because if you do that, the only reward you get is people's, you know, adulation. But, but if you want God's reward, then do it that privately. And then he continues and he says, and when you pray, so it's when you give, don't do it public. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus hates religion. Let me say that again because it might stun you when I say that. Jesus hates religion. Jesus was here for one particular reason, and that was to make us all aware that God loves us. Absolutely. And that God loves us so much that he wants to be connected to us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And we broke the relationship through sin, which is any action that's against God's will. And since the relationship was broken and we couldn't restore it, God came in the man Jesus Christ into time. And he paid the penalty because he lived a perfect life. He could pay the penalty, which was death on the cross so that we could have a new life. And so what Jesus wanted us to understand when he was on the earth and through his teaching, we still have that understanding is we are to have a relationship with the living God of the universe through Jesus Christ, not a religion, because religion is a human effort to please or appease a God or gods that you worship. And, and, and God doesn't want that. He wants us. He wants us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And, and what he says is that if we do that, all we get is the reward of other people's adulation. Now, Having said what I just said, how about this? Pastor Brad and I both prayed publicly today. So is that wrong? Is it wrong to pray publicly? Because Jesus said, don't go into street corners in the synagogues to be seen by men. The answer is it could be wrong if we were doing it to be seen by you. If we were doing it simply to come into God's presence and bring all of us into God's presence, then it's a good thing. And so only God really knows if we're doing it so you will feel good about us or you'll pat us on the back or you'll say, whoa, you're a great prayer, prayer. But it's not wrong to pray publicly. It's only wrong to pray publicly as a way of getting other people's adulation. It's not, as I said, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's about connecting and listening to God and sharing our needs with him. So then Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. I don't know if you've ever listened to people of other religions pray like that. I have. I've heard Buddhists mainly um, pray like that. 
And they pray the same thing over and over and over and over. And even though it's been in Chinese or Khmer or other languages that I don't understand, it's the same words over and over and over again. And, and, and as Jesus said, I don't know, what, what do they think? Do they think that their God is, you know, on vacation and he, he's not back yet or that he's absent-minded or that, if, you know, or, or do they think their God is sort of like the two-year-old thinks about mom or dad? You know, you, you've all, we've all been in that situation, been in a store, you know, the little two-year-old's going, mommy, 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 daddy, 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 I want, I want, I want. It's usually like a candy bar or something, right? And so we just keep tugging and tugging and tugging, and we think if we tug long enough, we'll get it, right? The two-year-old thinks, if I just tug long enough, I'm going to get it. And that's what it's like. That's what Jesus said, don't do that. When you pray, don't do that, because your God knows you and knows everything you need before you even ask. Now, does it mean we shouldn't ask? Of course not. We're still supposed to ask, but it's a relationship. It's not a religion. So, the other thing about this is, there are people, and I know many of them, they won't say the Lord's Prayer. You know why? Because they say it's just babbling on and on like a pagan does whenever they say the same words over and over again. Because the Lord's Prayer is the same words over and over again. So is that true? Is it true that when we say the Lord's Prayer, it's just babbling on like a pagan? Again, it can be. I've been in, you know, I've been in times with people in a group of people saying the Lord's Prayer where it seemed like a race to see who could get done first. Well, if that's the case, then it's certainly just like a pagan ritual. And I've also been in places where it seemed like nobody was even thinking about the words they were saying. It was almost like you were doing a password for your, you know, for your computer online thing. And again, that's wrong to do it that way. But Jesus actually said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now notice it doesn't say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Because that's not, that wasn't in the original gospel of Matthew and the original gospel of Luke. It was added later. So am I saying it's not true? It's certainly true. God's kingdom is there. His glory is worthy of us calling out to. It's certainly fine to say that. In fact, Jesus could have been saying, when you pray, say these words, but he really wasn't. I don't believe saying that. I mean, it's not wrong to say those words if you say them with sincerity. But what he was really saying is, remember this. When you pray, remember, you're praying to our Heavenly Father. When you pray, He's holy. Remember that when you go into God's presence, he's not the big guy. He's not the guy upstairs. He's a holy God. Remember that. Remember when you pray to pray for God's kingdom to come on the earth as it already is in heaven. Pray for God to supply our needs every single day. Pray for God to forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Pray for God to lead us away from temptation and pray for God to deliver us from the evil one. And it is true. The, the original Greek says evil one. It doesn't just say evil. So, you know, th there is an evil one. He's the devil, and we want to pray for God to deliver us from him. And as we think about all of those words, we should think about the meaning of every single part. And that's why we're going to do that during this month of January. We're going to take each part. Today, we're going to take our Father in heaven, which is why that's the message title today. But before we do that, let's take a quick look at the remainder of these verses 14 to 18. 14 and 15 says... If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's the only segment of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus reiterates. That forgiveness is mandatory. 
That if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Well, why would he say that? Because the heart of the gospel, gospel means good news. The heart of the good news is forgiveness. We have broken our relationship with God and we need to be forgiven. The problem is the offender can never fix things. Only the one who has been offended. God has been offended, so he fixed it in sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross. What did Jesus say as he was being nailed to the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So forgiveness comes to us from God freely, and we break the flow of forgiveness when we fail to forgive. We're going to talk a lot more about forgiveness the weekend that we're going to talk about that particular segment of the prayer. And the whole week of fasting, the focus is going to be forgiveness. So we're going to talk more about that, but it's so important. Forgiveness is central in our life of faith. Then the last thing that we're going to look at before we go back to our Father is Jesus said, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. So two things about fasting very quickly. Number one is it doesn't say if you fast, but it says when you fast. So Jesus expected us to fast. If you don't know what fasting is, fast simply means to go without food and or drink for spiritual purposes. We use a word every day probably that we don't maybe realize breakfast. It literally means break the fast. So we fast from nighttime when we go to bed until we wake up. It's sort of a mandatory kind of fast, you know what I'm saying? Because you don't eat anything when you're sleeping. But we fast from food and drink for a period of time for spiritual purposes. And we might pray, we might fast for our own personal needs. We might fast for the needs of the church as a whole. We might fast for the needs of our whole world. But when we fast, Jesus says, when we fast, not if, but when we do, What are we supposed to do? Same thing we're supposed to not do, I should say. When we give alms and when we pray, we're not supposed to make a show of it. You see, back in Jesus' day, the religious people, when they fasted, they would put ashes on their head so they would look bad. They would wear sackcloth. It would be in our day, it would be sort of like if we, you know, didn't put on the makeup, if we didn't shave, and then I realized half of you don't shave anyway, Um, you know, but so I guess you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't trim up your beard, whatever. But the bottom line is you wouldn't make a deal about it if you're doing it Jesus' way. So when we fast, we're supposed to look good so people don't know that we're doing it. Now let's go back to this first segment of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but when Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, he scandalized all the religious leaders around him. The religious leaders probably went, (gasps) you know why? Because God was seen as so transcendent, so totally other, you would never, ever think of using the word Father to refer to God. Now, we who are Christians have heard the word Father used of God so many times because Jesus used it, Paul used it, other gospel writers and and other New Testament writers use it. However, if you look in the Old Testament and you look for reference to God as Father, you will find three. And none of them are real personal. Because God was seen as distant, transcendent, other. And so when Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father, it scandalized the religious people. I'm sure they formed a committee that day to execute him. Get him off the face of the earth because he's a dangerous guy. Because that is not how we're supposed to relate to God. We're not supposed to get that close to God. Now, here's the thing. 
I've had people talk to me over the years about the fact that this father thing, you know, their father wasn't a good father or isn't a good father. And, and so they would say, you know, I can't relate to this, this father because my, my father's so bad. Well, when Jesus said, um, pray our father, he wasn't saying because, because God is like your dad. He, he was referring to God in a personal, parental kind of way. God is our heavenly father, which means he's perfect. But did you notice it also says he's holy. So that's something none of us are. If I'm a dad and I had a dad and neither me nor my dad are holy, perfect. And none of you who are dads are either. So the, if you have a stumbling block in saying, Father, just remember what Jesus was intending. He was intending for us to picture this perfect being who loves us with an absolute love, who has our best interest at heart, always knows what we need before we ask. And, and, and that will hopefully that will bring that barrier down. But then the second thing that Jesus said there was our. Actually, it's the first thing. Our, O-U-R, our Father. Notice he didn't say, when you pray, pray my Father. He said, pray our Father. Interesting. In fact, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, what you see is that every single pronoun is plural. It says, it says give us. Today, the food we need, forgive us our sins, and as we have forgiven those who sin against us, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, we're so individualistic as Americans, when we read the Lord's Prayer, we probably don't even see that. We probably think, well, I need my stuff, I need food for me, I need, I need you know, to be forgiven because, you know, I, I, I do a lot of stuff that I need to forgive for, I need to have... Um, Deliverance from temptation and evil. But we, we think so much about ourselves. But what happens when we start to do it the way that Jesus said and we say, our father, we start to look around and say, hey, we have brothers and sisters. If I'm, if I'm the child of a father then, and he says us, there must be more than one of us, right? So when I start to say, God, give us this day our daily bread, or what we need. You know, it depends on what translation. But the bottom line is, I start to think about something other than the food on my plate. In fact, I start to think about the plate that is empty for somebody else. And, and two things can happen then. I start to pray for that person. I start to say, God, this person doesn't even have any food. you, you got to do something. And then here's the thing that might happen. God might say, yeah, I know. Huh. That's why I made you. So you can do something too. You see, when I start to pray us, then what happens is my focus gets off of me and it gets onto you. And then I start to care about your needs and you start to care about my needs. And together we become what Jesus called, you know, his people. He called us a flock. Paul called us, the apostle Paul called us a body. Peter called us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But all of that is to say that we, the church, are Jesus' presence in the earth, and together we are called to put forth His goodness, His truth, His love, His message. And so when we start to say, our Father, instead of my Father, and we start to think that way, everything changes. And that was the intent, because Jesus wanted us all to understand that it's us, not just me. It's us, not just you as an individual, and together, we are so much stronger and more powerful than we could ever be on our own. In fact, I actually had to change today's um, commitment because when I wrote this booklet, 
it says on page three, notice what the commitment says. It says, I will invest time daily in deepening my prayer life with God. Huh, that's pretty individualistic, isn't it? So I changed it. If you look on the screen, it says, or if you look in your connection today, it says, we will invest time daily in deepening our prayer life with God. We will invest time daily. Now, the we could be tomorrow morning when all of you come with me here at 6.30 in the morning and we get together to pray. But the we could also be the two of you who are a couple who go home today and sit down and pray together. The two of you could be your family or the four of you, the five of you, the seven of you, the family. It could be that you go to work tomorrow and you sit down with somebody at work and you pray with that person. That could be the we. But the, but the thing is, as we pray together, and I hope we do pray individually because didn't Jesus say go into your closet you know, and pray privately? So it's not either or. It's both. I hope that you pray individually and I hope that I pray individually and invest time in prayer to deepen our prayer life with God. But I also hope that we do it together because that's what the Lord's Prayer commands us to do. In 2017, I believe God has incredible things for us here at New Life in 2017. I really do. And I know that I can't do them. And I know that you can't do them. But I know that together, He's calling us to do things that none of us could do individually and that only, can only be done together. So remember two things about prayer. Everything starts and ends with prayer. Everything. Whatever problem you're facing today, face it through in the name of Jesus in prayer. Right? And the second thing is prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. And, and we will uh, pray in 2017 if we believe that. That, there's, that, that, action, that prayer is not a substitute for action, we will go to prayer first. And we will pray as if, God, everything depends on you, God. And it does. But then we will still act as if everything depends on us. Because God uses us. I love Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what we do. Because God is at work in you to willing to work for His good pleasure God is going to do what we can't do. That's why we don't make resolutions or don't need to make resolutions because if I resolve to do something, I probably won't do it. And even if I do it, it'll be about me. But if I take it to God in prayer and if I take it to my brothers and sisters in prayer, if we together agree in prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit comes to bear as well as all the power of all of us and life changes. And that's the plan that Jesus left us 2,000 years ago, it's still the plan in 2017. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus' plan, for our lives, for salvation, for good, for, for eternity with you. And God, we thank you that right now we can turn to you. And, and we can turn to you together. We can turn to you individually. You promise us that wherever two or more of us are gathered in your name, you're here in a special way, so we know you're here in a special way right now. And God, we, we give this year to you. Whether we have one day or 365 days to live in 2017, God, we pray that you would be glorified in all that we are and all that we think, say, and do. God, we pray that whether we're praying alone or together, that we would pray in all sincerity knowing that you care and that you have already heard before we even ask. God, we pray that you would use new life to bring not only glory to yourself, but advancement to your kingdom here in Saxonburg, in our region, 
and to the ends of the earth in 2017. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.